Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative and FI360 Project. This is the Breaking Barriers series. We are Alex and Alicia, your hosts and resident fangirls of all women who break barriers for other people. During this series, we're going to highlight individuals from all industries and walks of life that have blazed trails. Each month, we'll focus on a different theme topic, and the theme for this month for Breaking Barriers is Pioneering First Ladies. First up, we're going to talk about Dolly Madison. The Dolly Madison. The. Alicia, so, tell me one sentence reason. Why are we talking about Dolly Madison? So, Dolly Madison is a pioneering first lady of the United States of America. Merca. Merca. Because of the work she did to define the role of the president's spouse and to promote bipartisan cooperation. She helped to create the idea that members of each party could amicably socialize, network, and negotiate with each other without punching each other. <laughs> I'm not Was kidding. Was that a problem? Yes. <laughs> um, we're featuring her on Breaking Barriers today because of that cooperative spirit as well as her legacy in defining the role of First Lady. I feel like that's a really important lesson for uh, all of us to learn right nowadays, especially cooperation. Yes. You can talk to each other and disagree and have an amicable conversation without fighting. But, I mean, like, there's also needs to be a level of respect, too. That was the thing. So... Tell me about Dolly. Let's, yeah, we'll get to that. All right. We'll get to the fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. <laughs> let's I talk love when about... when you say fisticuffs. Let's talk about Dolly. So, right. she was the first girl in her family. She was born Dolly Payne on May 20th, 1768 in the Quaker settlement of New Garden, North Carolina, in Guilford County, which is now part of the city of Greensboro. All right. Mary Coles Payne and John Payne Jr. were her parents. They were both Virginians who had moved to North Carolina in 1765. So relatively recently they had moved. In 1769, they moved back to Virginia, and young Dolly grew up at her parents' plantation in rural eastern Virginia. She became deeply attached to her mother's family. She eventually had three sisters and four brothers. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, in 1783, following the American Revolutionary War, John Payne freed all of his slaves. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Actually, a lot of the Quakers in the, um, that part of the country. Like the, like the Upper South, wasn't it called? Yes. Hmm. Freed all of their slaves. Um, Interesting. Some, some, some were Quakers, but, um, others were just inspired by the Revolutionary excuse me, revolutionary ideals. So um, after they let their slaves be free, they emancipated them, if you will. Um, she, I will. She and her family moved to Philadelphia when she was 15. And what do they do in Philadelphia? Well, lots of things happen in Philadelphia for Dolly. <laughs> okay. In Break January of 1790, she marries John Todd. He's a Quaker lawyer in Philadelphia, they quickly have two sons, John Payne and William Temple. Um, William Temple was born on July 4th, interestingly enough. Okay. Um, after Mary Payne left Philadelphia in 1793, that's her mother. Her mother had moved to Philadelphia when she got married. She lived with her to help her care for her kids. Mm -hmm. um, her mom left Philadelphia, so her sister, Anna, moved in with them to help them 
raise the children. Seven, 1793. Isn't that when, um, that, was it yellow fever? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. It's a big thing for Dolly. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, tell me about the yellow fever epidemic. So in August 1793, the epidemic broke out in Philadelphia, killing over 5,000 people, which is a lot of people at the time. Um, all of those people died in a four-month span. Sheesh. Dolly was hit particularly hard. Her husband, her younger son, William, mother-in-law, and father-in-law were all killed in a four-month period. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. Unimaginable. Yes. Um, in addition to her grief, Dolly experienced the compounding effects of coverture law. So what that means is that at the time, women were limited in what they could own as property and wages. So in her time of mourning, while undergoing the loss of much of her family, she also had to take care of her surviving son without the monetary support of her husband that he promised her because his brother would not release the funds to her and he was the executor of the will. Women could not be executors of the wills of anyone. Mm-hmm. So the brother could basically deny her what she was promised. And so she actually had to sue him for the money. All $19 of it. Nin- $19. I mean, that was a lot of money back then, but well, I guess so. it's not now. <laughs> but I would sue him out of spite if he tried to keep $19 away from me in that situation now. <laughs> well, you're uncommonly... Uh, Spiteful? <laughs> I was going to go with uh, frugal. Yeah, frugal, cheap is fair, too. I'm not offended by that, but... <laughs> thrifty? Thrifty. Um, so anyway... She was basically denied her promised funds, like many women at the time. Um, And she had to bury her family members and pay for the expenses of caring for them before they passed away and burying them and expenses for her child who lived um, without the money. And this highlighted the difficulties many women faced during these times because they could not be the executor of their husband's wills. Mm-hmm. Can you, I mean, can you imagine how difficult that would be? It would be... Ugh. No. Frankly, no. That would be very difficult. Basically, everybody but her son and her sister. Everybody that she knew in Philadelphia, but her son and her sister died. I cannot imagine that. And then to not have the ability to you know, properly give them a, f- a funeral or care for her son and her sister. Yeah. What did she do? Well, How did she do it? She made it, man. Like, she just made it work. She, um... What did she do, like, to burn their bodies in the backyard or something? I mean, I guess she buried them after she sued him for the money. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't have details on how long that suit took. So, uh, they didn't keep those sorts of records back then. (laughs) So, um, I'm hoping that it was relatively quickly that she got her funds. But despite her weakened financial position after the death of most of her male relatives, she was still considered a beautiful woman and was living in the temporary capital of the United States, Philadelphia. She caught the eye of James Madison, who then represented Virginia in the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. So... Think of, think of at the time, you couldn't really, you didn't really have any rights. 
Right. It's a new country also. Mm-hmm. Like, they're trying to figure out who has what rights. And remarrying would have been key because it would have given her financial stability that she did not currently have. And security. Mm-hmm. She, in keeping herself and her child alive, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, she did seem to genuinely care for uh, James Madison, but it would have been key for her to remarry to cement her financial mm-hmm. stability and security. Makes sense. Yeah. From a practical she, standpoint. Right. She was staying in the same boarding house as Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr, sir, if anyone likes Hamilton. Um, <laughs> Another Hamilton reference. He's a longtime friend of Madison's. Uh, they went to Princeton together. It was the College of New Jersey at the time. So he introduced them in May of 1794. Um, and he was 43. She was so young, yeah. right? He was uh, 17 years her senior. Okay. So by August, they were engaged. Um, so this is a great, this is great for her, right? She, she makes a friend in Aaron Burr. He introduces her to her soon to be husband. She gets engaged. And then because he's not a Quaker, her faith expels her. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. So because he was not a Quaker, she was expelled from the society of friends for marrying outside of her faith. After which she became, um, an Episcopalian. So... That seems like kicking a kicking a person when they're down. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so, despite her upbringing as a Quaker, there's no evidence that she disapproved of him as a slaveholder because he still had slaves. Mm. But maybe she did privately and just didn't publicly publicly say her anything. Yeah. Right. Um, they were married in September of 1794 and lived in Philadelphia for the next three years. So, that's like. So- one the that's a year that's a year later in one year she lost her husband and her son and her mother and father-in-law she was destitute she ended up living in a boarding house she meets james madison and marries him all within a year that's a a, whirlwind well yeah that's a roller coaster right there yeah it is (laughs) wow and she was expelled from Oh, yes, I forgot about that. Pl- like, the only place that had given her some sort of stability. Mm-hmm. Sheesh. So, now they're married, and um, by all accounts, James Madison raises her son like his own, um, which is great. And in 1797, after eight years in the House of Representatives, he retires from politics. He returned with his family to Montpelier, the Madison family plantation in Virginia, then they expanded the house and settled in, and um, when Thomas Jefferson was elected as the third president of the United States in 1800, he asked Madison to serve as his secretary of state. Madison accepted and moved Dolly, Payne, her son, her sister Anna, and their domestic slaves to Washington on F Street. They took a large house, as Dolly believed that entertaining would be important. She Not naturally, as a politician's wife, yes, right. And so, like, what's really interesting about her? I mean, there are many things that are very interesting about her, but one of them is that she is the only first lady to have served as first lady for two different administrations. Jefferson's wife passed away in childbirth, and, and he was a widower. And since it was 
unseemly for a man to entertain mixed company without a hostess. He often called Dolly to come and act as hostess because she was the vice president's wife. That's very interesting. Yeah. So she, not only did she set the standard of what the first lady would be, but she was the only first lady to serve in two administrations as mm-hmm. first lady. Um, which I thought was very interesting. Also, she always wore turbans with feathers. Was it? Was, a, was that the style back then? No. Okay. She was a trendsetter. She's All the only right. one that did that, which I think is very cool. She's like, I don't have to do my hair. I'm just going to get some great turbans <laughs> and put some feathers in it and some beads and stuff. And then I don't Call have to do my day. hair. Yeah. That's great. It's like the <laughs> bun of today. <laughs> Are you looking at the bun that's no, in my hair your right hair now? isn't a bun. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Happy accident. <laughs> okay, sure. Right. It's not delivered at all. No, it really wasn't. But, um, okay, it's like the ponytail of today. All right, thanks. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it was very interesting because... I like turbans. Let's bring that... Yeah. I don't want to do my hair. Like, there's some, like, paintings and stuff of her, and some of them have, like, pearls with, like, a big gem and, like, all these feathers sticking out of them. Like, I could rock that. I feel like that might be too much work for me. I could... Really? Just put your hair up in a ponytail and put the turban over it. How much work is that, really? You could have no hair. Nobody would know. Just shave your head. I remember reading, uh, I think, in uh, maybe at least in the 1800s, matrons in England. Um, what is that? Regency England, I guess? I don't know. Victorian, not Victorian England. That's way too late. Uh, I think it was Regency. I think 1800s is Regency uh, they wore turbans well, of some she, sort. She was pulling that forward to the new... I think Dolly... I'm, I'm going to say that Dolly said that. Said that. Yeah. Let's... let's Yes. Unpopular. Opinion. Probably completely unfactual opinion. <laughs> False opinion. <laughs> um, Dolly actually said all the trends. <laughs> yeah. So in the approach to the 1808 presidential election... Thomas Jefferson didn't want to run again. He was ready to retire. So um, he, James Madison was nominated to succeed him. He was elected president. He served two terms. And Dolly became the official first lady now. All right. She worked with the architect Benjamin Henry Latrobe to furnish the White House, uh, the first official residence built for the president of the United States. Weren't they so, the first people, that, the first president and After first it was lady? finished? Yeah. Yeah. So they were the first ones that lived there. So I don't think so. Because we talked about um, Abigail Adams. Yes, I remember. And I believe that she remarked that she lived in the house, but it wasn't finished. And that was very frustrating for her. And then I think um, Jefferson was right after that. Mm -hmm. So I think by the time that Madison is president, it's actually built completely and done. And so now Dolly has the opportunity to furnish it. So, um, yeah. So this is a great, this is a time of great anxiety and upheaval because many people thought that the United States wouldn't be united for very long. Mm-hmm. Madison really pushed unity and Dolly used her charm and political wit to bring people together. She was very charming. Didn't she have, she had meetings, like drawing room meetings yes. every once in a while? It was once a week. It was every Wednesday night and it did not matter if, like, somebody really important died or there was something really important going on, like, she had that meeting every mm-hmm. Wednesday night. She invited people from both sides of the of the aisle to network and solve their issues in an amicable way. See, this is what I think is so interesting about Dolly. Yeah, because 
this was a very volatile Congress. Think about it. Um, the vice president of the United States shot the, I don't know if Hamilton at the time was. Are we talking about Hamilton again? Yeah, but like it was, it was a few years prior to this. It wasn't a long time. So like they were resolving their differences with fists and guns. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm getting at. All right. Is that in this time period, that was how you resolved your differences. And Dolly's like, no. <laughs> Say fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so the this was the most volatile Congress, believe it or not. Um, they would I, often I don't. fist fight and duel, sometimes on the Congress floor. <laughs> really? Yes. When okay. they disagreed. So the founders were making all these laws, which they were not sure would even be adapted and accepted by the people. They needed people to behave, <laughs> basically. So they used prominent women in elite social circles to enforce manners in their social circles and hopes help that it carries down into the lower social circles, into everybody, basically. So, I mean, like, naturally then, Dolly as the She is the lady, elite of the elite. Yeah. Yeah. So she's at the top of the social circles and directly as well as indirectly helped keep the peace in the early United States before, during, and after the siege of Washington. So think about how revolutionary her ideas would be. And I'm sure it came from her Quaker background, too, mm-hmm. to sort of make peace, right? So I, I'm, I'm just picturing Congress people having, like, a f- duel on Congress <laughs> Like, in Congress on the congressional floor and her, like, walking in with a turban. Like, stop. (laughs) This is not how we do things here. (laughs) This is America. (laughs) So, um, anyway, she became crucial as a part of the Washington social circle. She befriended the wives of numerous diplomats. um, And she actually... Her charm precipitated diplomatic crisis at one point. It was called the Mary Affair. Because Jefferson escorted her into the dining room instead of the wife of Anthony Mary, who was the English dip- diplomat, for dinner. It was that a is, major faux pas. That She's is no-no. Very charming. So, um, in any event, she helped define the official functions, decorated the executive mansion, and welcomed visitors, visitors in her drawing room. She was renowned for her social graces and hospitality. And contributed to her husband's popularity as president. So they were talking, what is it like a, like she would always sit on the couch and if she's paid special attention to you at one of her parties, more than usual, something was up. So like she was also kind of brokering deals and softening people up for her husband's hmm. plans and like the com- the country's good will, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of... Uh... Frank and Claire Underwood from House of Cards. All right, well, I had, didn't see that, so... Well, I don't know, but she... are behind on literally everything, so... Sorry. Um, she would, like... I guess they all chewed tobacco, which is kind of gross. Ew. But she would have, like, her little... She would share, like, a tobacco box with Jefferson all the time at, at her meetings. Like, he would come to all of them. And they would, like, plan. And then she would, with her wit and her charm, she would, like help advance their causes she sounds very crafty she is i feel like we would like her yes yeah i like her um she was the only first lady given an honorary seat on the floor of congress and the first american to respond to a telegraph 
message. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. In 1812, uh, her husband was reelected. This was the year that the War of 1812 began with Great Britain. Uh, this is when things get a little rough. Yes. So, she... Did um, they attempt to invade Canada? Yeah, that didn't go well. I suppose not. It was North America. It's North U.S. Right now, we, okay. we kind of think of it that way, but, like, we tried to make them legit North U.S., and that didn't work. <laughs> um, so, we tried to... Intent- we tried to invade Canada in 1813, so the British attacked Washington in 1814. And as the British troops are approaching the White House, the staff is hurriedly trying to flee, and Dolly is standing there ordering people to get this Stuart painting down um, because it's a painting of George Washington. Okay. And it's like George Washington is the dude. Right? So... I mean, this um, is, like, the only thing before all of you... Before you presented me with all of this research a couple days ago, like, that's the only thing that I knew Dolly for was... Saving this painting. Saving this painting. She refused to leave the White House until the painting was down. And it was so well secured to, um... I think, like, the... The wood. They just, like, broke the frame. They couldn't get it to come apart. So they just, like, snapped the frame and pulled the painting up. And then somebody tried to roll it up. She's like, ah, we, no, we don't roll up Washington. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they got it out. Um, they went to Georgetown. She, she got out and, you know, they fled the city. And she fled, fled not fleed. They fled the city. Um, they went to Georgetown. And the next day they crossed over the Potomac into Virginia. When the danger receded after the British left... A few days later, she returned to the capital to meet her husband. However, the rampant pillaging and systematic destruction had desolated much of the new city. Mm-hmm. As Congress began discussions over the construction of a new capital, Dolly and James moved into the Octagon House, which was basically a place for them to live while they fixed up the White House, which had been basically destroyed. Mm-hmm. Dolly established the Washington City Female Orphan Asylum after the War of 1812. That's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. So, in 1817, Dolly and James, after his presidency is over, they go back to Montpelier. In 1830, um, Dolly's son from her first marriage, Payne Todd, went to debtor's prison. I think he had, like, I believe he was an alcoholic. And, I mean, if you lost your entire family, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of change for a kid. You know, I think he just didn't handle that very well. I don't think that they had a lot of therapy for children and traumatic events at the time. It was kind of like rub some dirt in it and move (laughs) on. Um, So in 1830, he went to debtor's prison. The Madisons sold land in Kentucky and mortgaged half of Montpelier to pay his debts to get him out of jail. Yeah. After James died, um, Dolly organized his papers she was paid by Congress to edit and publish seven volumes of his papers, including the unique notes on the 1787 convention. So, at this point, Montpelier is mortgaged to the Gills, mm-hmm. and uh, but like they can make it, mm-hmm. and she has no other income, right? Because they didn't pay ex like former presidents at this time, right? Which we've talked about in other podcasts about 
there's a reason why they do that now. It's because Jefferson and the Madisons and basically everybody except the Adamses uh, ended up in financial ruin after being president. Right. So... So this is the 1830s, right? Yeah, this so is 1836. They, they re- Madison retired in 1817. Mm-hmm. This is now, we're in 1836-ish, mm-hmm. um, when she, you in know, she's in debt yeah. because of Montpelier and her son um, and his debts, and James just died, and so she's getting paid by Congress, basically. To reorganize his, his notes, basically. Which, which sounds, is a handout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he did have some unique notes from conventions that he attended, and he always, I guess he took copious notes. There's seven volumes of them, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they Sounds did. Sounds like Jen, our sound girl, yeah. she takes yeah. they copious, did, copious notes. They did want um, his notes organized, but, like, if she was in a financial position, they probably would not have paid her to mm-hmm. do it, but because she was in this position, they paid her to do it. Um, so then in 1837, she really needs to return to Washington to finish these volumes um, to help compile everything up. So she tells her son, Payne, can you handle the plantation? Can you be in charge of managing this thing? And he was like, yeah, I've got it, Mom. I'm good. And so she moves to Washington with her sister, and she became the most powerful and influential woman in Washington when she returned. She even set up Martin Van Buren's son with his future wife. Really? Yes. Um, she did correspond with Abigail Adams briefly, and she was friends with Martha Washington. We do love Abigail Adams here. We do. We do. So it turns out that Payne was not able to manage the plantation due to his addiction mm-hmm. so um, and related illness. So she, she tried to sell the rest of Madison's papers, right? But she mm-hmm. wasn't actually able to find anyone who would buy it at this point. Yeah, immediately. Mm-hmm. So she sold Montpelier, all the slaves, and everything in the house to pay the debts of mm-hmm. the house. So then she's destitute in 1848. Um, Congress agrees at this point to buy the rest of Madison's papers. She dies less than a year later. So she's destitute for a few years, and they're like, we just Almost can't like let this years. go on. Yeah, we can't let this go on. This woman built our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where is she buried? So she died. She died in eighteen forty nine at age eighty one. Where? Yeah. Where? Where did they bury? She was first buried in the Congressional Cemetery, Washington D.C., but she was later reinterred at Montpelier next to her husband. You can actually visit Montpelier. I didn't know that. It's now um, whoever bought it from them in that chain of ownership Mm -hmm. it was bought back by the government and is now a like historic landmark so anybody can go visit yeah i think that'd be i mean let's go in the winter because it's virginia it'll be hot so (laughs) it's like five hours from us yeah well um not gonna be that hot in the winter so what was her legacy what was her legacy let's talk about it well she's so she's Noted for holding Washington social functions, um, where she invited both um, members from both political parties, and she, you know, essentially spearheaded the concept of bipartisan cooperation before, I mean, obviously before that term was in use in the United States. So I, it's my understanding that people like Thomas Jefferson, previous to this, would only meet 
with members of one party at a time. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about, politics could often be a violent affair. Resulting, resulting in? in fisticuffs. Thank you. Or duels. So she was not officially a politician, of course, but she was a woman of great political savvy. Mm-hmm. And she used the power of her position and her personality to offer a new way for politicians who were always male to interact Naturally. and bridge the disagreements and rivalries that separated them. Didn't there was um, someone who said Henry Clay? Yeah, Henry, you know who Henry, Henry Clay? Clay is. I, yeah, I know who Henry Clay is. Okay, all right. So every, he said that everyone loves Dolly Madison, and then she said back, "That's because Dolly Madison loves everyone." <laughs> <laughs> so such a politician's yeah, wife thing yes, to say. <laughs> yes, it is. So by innovating the political institutions as the wife of James Madison, she did much to define the role of the presidential spouse. It, at that time, it wasn't known as the First Lady. Now it is. But um, she really established what that meant. Mm-hmm. She's the only, like I said, the only woman to have functioned as a U.S. presidential First Lady for two different administrations. And um, she, again, saved the painting. Right. And she right. is the one that initially furnished the newly constructed White House before the British destroyed it. So... Let's toast. Let's toast to her. To Dolly. And her turbans. And her turbans with the feathers. With the feathers and the beads. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Dolly, for all you did for the First Lady. Uh, Coming up, we're going to have Barbara Bush. Yes. Can't wait to talk to you about Barbara Bush. Learned so many things about her doing research for her. I think this is so interesting. And this is, I mean, this is sort of off topic, but... As a child, I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in history in the, in the sort of way that we cover it in these podcasts. Mm-hmm. So every person that we talk about, I know very little about. Like, I know a little bit about them. Like, oh, I know who Barbara Bush is. Like, she's mm-hmm. the lady with the white hair. You know, like, <laughs> she was that other Bush's wife and she's the first lady. Bush. Yeah, like, but I, I didn't learn about her specifically in school. Mm-hmm. And so I've. I'm just so impressed by all of these women that we've talked about to this point. Yeah. Um, I'm also a little sad in the American public education system that I don't know who they are, but I'm impressed. Like, think about, nobody talks about Dolly Madison. No. Like, I told you before, the only thing that I knew about her was that she saved that painting of Washington. And that's such a minor thing that she did. Yeah. Like, I mean, she, she was beloved for that, but like, in all the things she did, that's like fifth on the list. Right. Of importance. Right. So I just... I'm really happy that we're highlighting these women and that we're taking the time to shine a light on, in Dolly's case, somebody who helped build our country and the way we, the social constructs of our country. And how it functions. Right. Every day. It's amazing to me that her name isn't, like, she's not on a quarter. She's not on a dollar bill. Well, there's no women on any of them. Yeah. But so we'll get anyway. to that later. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're not salty about it at all. We are not <laughs> at all salty about that. Give us Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Who will be a subject of one of our upcoming <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I just, I think that there's a lot of history to talk about in high school and middle school and people get left out and whether it's purposeful or not a lot of the time it's the women that's that's one of the reasons why i'm so excited that 
whoever it was, like whatever executive at FI360 that was like, hey, yeah, give Alex and Alicia their own podcast. Let's give like, them a podcast. That's, give them microphones. Only go well. Like, <laughs> just let them go. Let them talk because we get to do this. Like, this is so exciting for the two of us. I, nobody sees this except for us, but like we sit in here and we talk to each other and we have like hand gestures going and, and yeah. we're like laughing at each other. And, you know, we have fun doing this. And I'm so excited that, you know, specifically for breaking barriers, like the This Month in Women's History ones were really, they were really great. Mm-hmm. But I feel like breaking barriers is gonna give us a little bit of leeway that the This Month in Women's History ones didn't. Right. You know? I, and, like, I also feel like we're becoming better people because we know more about the history of women. Not, I mean, we cover women, we cover a lot of women from the United States, but, I mean, we cover women from all over the world. We do. So I think that we're becoming better human beings by learning about these these formative people. And I think that it's very interesting that we don't know about them. We're also giving you, our listeners, however many of you there are. Three. (laughs) Hey, Mom. (laughs) Hi, Mom. Um, We're giving you guys some information on women. You guys are learning with us, really. You know, you're becoming more educated and, and... having your barriers broken and maybe you maybe you knew all about dolly madison and i'm just a plebe i don't know (laughs) you know i mean i did go to a small school so maybe they just picked books that didn't have like they were less (laughs) expensive they didn't have any women in them but um i don't know i just i think that this is really interesting and i i think it it's really an education for me and i really enjoy it and i'm really thankful that we get to do it so me too me too um I, we toast into Dolly Madison, but let's toast to Breaking Barriers. All right, Breaking Barriers. Yeah. We're going to break some this year. Maybe it might be a cup. <laughs> Hopefully not a cup. Don't break my cup. You bought me this cup. I did. All right. Let's, let's wrap this up. Okay. All right. We're going to have to say goodbye for this one. We'll be back. Don't worry. We're going to talk about Barbara Bush soon. Okay. So thank you for spending oh your time don't, with us. Don't use your NPR voice on us. <laughs> All right. Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is Breaking Barriers and a Little Louder Now podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative. Thank you, Alex, for this great conversation. Always. Thank you, listeners, for taking some time with me today to talk about the amazing pioneering first lady, Dolly Madison. Mm. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring magnificent women who broke barriers. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, or if you have questions, topic ideas, or you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. <laughs> You're cracking me up. Is it the voice. NPR voice? Yes. I'm trying not to have an NPR voice. Just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> keep telling us where they can go. <sighs> okay. Previous podcast, go. Okay, so you can email us at bridge at fi360.com or go to fi360bridge.com or we're on Twitter at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you to all get a a little little louder louder now. now.